0: Years ago, I met a man called Dave Bryant. Dave Bryant was a pastor up at Kent, Ohio, and he pastored a church there in the uh, spring of 1969. If you know your history of the Vietnam War, that's when National Guardsmen accidentally opened up and killed four Kent State students. His congregation was very close to the campus, and he began, and he had a lot of students who were there. So the next Sunday, uh, they had to think about what they were going to do. Through that experience of having to deal with that, he came to see the, the joy of prayer. And he began a ministry. It's not new to him, but he made it uh, nationwide, worldwide even. It's called concerts of prayer this is where you are guided through your prayer and it came out of his experience there because he saw that when they got to pray there was unity there was evangelism that took place there was an impact upon that community at that time and he took and i had the pleasure of getting to know him as well as work with him in new york city for a while on the concerts of prayer. One of the things he does now, not only doing concerts of prayer, but he's also involved with a ministry called Christ Now. And one of the things he says that we need in our, in the church today, and especially the church of, in America more than anything else, is what he calls a Christ awakening. That is, we have to reintroduce the Son of God to the church. It doesn't mean that they haven't heard of him. In fact, some churches, it's very difficult to bring Christ into that church because they've been inoculated. They've read the creeds. They've heard what goes on. They read the scriptures. And it's just like for any inoculation, you give them just a little bit and they think they got it. Or the body uh, acts as if they've already dealt with it. And they think, and even in churches, and even possibly in this church, there may be some, well, I come to Grace Christian Fellowship. I know about Christ. I know who he is. I don't need to be told anything more, which is exactly the whole opposite of humility, that we are always learning. One of the things I like about teaching is I learn more than you all do because I only got 45 minutes to tell you stuff, and I spend a lot of time Learning more things, or sometimes relearning, especially when you get to be sixty-seven, you relearn a whole, whole, whole lot of stuff. <laughs> he says we need a Christ awakening because there's confusion about Christ in our church. I've heard of churches you can go there, and the only time you hear the name of Jesus is a couple of old geezers back in the front hallways talking about yesterday's sports event. That's the only time you can hear. How much more do we have to be reminded about Jesus? And in fact, this is one of the beauties of the Apostles' Creed. It was written in a time in which there was great confusion about Jesus. There were a lot of different heresies going on that he was not fully God, fully man, he was only the God Spirit who came upon him be right at his baptism and left right before the cross. and All sorts of things they were wrestling with for three, four hundred years. Things we take for granted. But the Apostles' Creed reminds us of the core ideas about Christ. And here in Lord's Day 12 is exactly one of them. We move in Lord's Day 12 from having understood God the Father, who is the creator of heaven and earth, and his providence to Jesus, who is our Savior, the one who has paid the price for our sins, not only for on the cross, but also in in his life, that he may give to us his perfect righteousness, so that we may not only be counted with no sins, but the righteousness of Christ is ours. And we begin to realize that word only that is there is that it means exactly that. There is no other. You can't go to Muhammad. You can't go to Buddha. You can't go to the Baha'í Vakita, You can't go to anything else and find a sufficient, all-sufficient Savior. It's only Jesus who is our Savior. Well, from there, the creed moves on to ask, what is, why is he called Christ, that is, the anointed? And it gives the answer, because he is ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption, our only high priest, who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and ever lives to make intercession for us with the Father, and our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit and defends and preserves us in redemption attained for us. It is a reminder to us that the word Christ is not Jesus' last name. His last name was Jesus bar Joseph, or Jesus of Nazareth. That's how they identified him. In fact, in his death certificate, they would have put Jesus of Nazareth, crucified, this date, dead, buried. And then they had to rework the death certificate in a few days because he wasn't dead. (laughs) They had to revoke it. But it's a reminder to us that the the word Christ is a title. It comes from the Old Testament. Uh, For the Old Testament looked at an anointed one, and it looked at it looked for an anointed one in three offices: one as a prophet, like Moses and Samuel and David and Jeremiah and Isaiah, someone whom God had called apart, called apart set apart to be his spokesman to the people. And there they had two, two basic functions. One, the, the vast minority function, although in our day and age and in some areas this becomes majority, to foretell, that is to tell what's going to take place. And so they look at only those passages as to foretell something, either about Christ and his ministry or end times or things like that. That's what it is to be a prophet, to be able to tell you what's going on tomorrow. No, that's a minor part. The major part is to forth is to remind the people of the law of God, what it means, what it says, and to apply it to their lives. For it's not just enough to know the word of God, it must be applied. And the prophet would do that. Uh, Jeremiah would look at his people in their vast rebellion against God And they would say, you say, peace, peace, because we have the temple. You think, as long as the temple's standing, we are okay with God. I tell you, he is going to destroy that temple, and you are going to exile. Why? Because you didn't obey the law. You didn't obey one particular commandment. You did not keep the Sabbath, the day of rest. And not only just the Sabbath, but the Jubilee year, a seventh year when your land was supposed to be fallow. And God would provide two years of grain in the sixth year so that you could go through and, and endure th- that seventh year. You didn't do that. And therefore, God is going to take you into exile. People said, no, 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 come on. God wouldn't do that. He's a God of love. He's a God of covenant. He, he's faithful to us. He will never do that. And Jeremiah, remember the law? The blessings and the curses. Blessed are you if you do. Cursed are you if you don't do. And you didn't do. That's the majority of what a prophet does. Foretells. That's the first one. Second one is a priest. The priest that you'll find in uh, Leviticus 1-8. to I am not going to read Leviticus 1-8 to this morning. We will never get out of here if I read that. But it is a whole idea of the sacrifices. And it was the priest who was given the, uh, the, uh, the call to do the sacrifices, to take the animal, to break the neck of the pigeon, or to slaughter the, the sheep or the goats and offer a sacrifice to God, a prototype, a type of what was to come later on as the New Testament tells us. And in fact, you have the story of Zacharias, who was a priest. And it says in verse 8 of Luke 1, Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense they not only offered the sacrifice they offered the prayers and the prayers were to take the incense put it on the altar allow the aroma to go up and then they would offer the prayers and Zechariah met an angel they had a real discussion about what was going on zachariah wasn't too sure he liked what was being said and the angel said, You will not speak until your son is born. So he comes out, stands above the people, and begins the motion. <laughs> and they're all going, What? What happened? Well, they don't know. He can't he can't tell them. But he was offering prayers as they were praying. That's what a priest. And a priest was anointed. You'll you'll read in Exodus how. There was special oil developed and you, they would anoint the priest on the ear, so that, excuse me, right ear so he could hear, right thumb so that he could act, uh, right thumb, uh, thank you, you think I had that in there No. <laughs> right big toe so he could walk out what they had called him to do and he was anointed set apart to do these things. They didn't have to go to war, they didn't have to do anything, they just did their job, sacrifice intercession. And finally you had the king. Like Saul, like David, like Solomon, like some kings of the southern kingdom that were there. People set aside and they were anointed by oil. You know, even Samuel anointed Saul by pouring oil over him. And when the Lord realized Saul was not, he didn't realize when Saul, when the Lord said that Saul was not appropriate he Samuel then anointed David to be the king and the oil comes flowing down over his hair and his beard right now I wish I had a beard so I could show it over his beard and it drips down on the ground and that's the sign that he has been set apart by God for this purpose to guide the people to keep them within the law, he had to read the law once every year and make sure they did things by the law of God. That's why they were called to greater accountability. And to guard the people, not only from outside enemies, but from themselves. And of the problem with the kings of Israel were they didn't do a very good job. In fact, they did exactly what the law told them not to do, to get a lot of servants, to get a lot of horses, to build a big army, to have built palaces. But all of those offices were anointed, anointed to do what God has said. Now we come to Jesus. And in Jesus, you have the ultimate anointed one, the ultimate Christ, the ultimate Messiah. And he came as he was ordained and anointed. That's seen in his baptism. And if you look on your page under Christ as prophet, you go down to that section, Jesus' first action in his as he began ministry. Matthew three, sixteen to seventeen, where Jesus comes down to John. John says, I don't need to be baptizing you, you need to be baptizing me. And Jesus said, Let all things be done for righteousness. And it says, as when, when, when Jesus was baptized, immediately we, he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he, as John, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That was his ordination, that was his call, that was his anointing. The Spirit came and rested. The Father declared, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's that's what the baptism shows us. And when he goes to his hometown, and they give him the scroll of Isaiah, and he opens it up, He opens it up purposely to Isaiah 61, and he begins to read that passage. And it says, the Holy Spirit has anointed me to, and he describes his ministry. And he says, this day, this passage has been fulfilled in your presence. I am the anointed one. I am the Messiah. He understood what it was. His baptism gave him the assurance that it was, as if he did really needed any assurance, but it gave it to him. Therefore, Christ becomes our chief priest, prophet, and teacher. I, I love the descriptive words here. It doesn't say he's our only prophet and teacher, but he is the chief. One of the things that really irked the Catholic Church in the Reformation was one tiny word, solo, sola, alone. It's the word of God alone. It is Christ alone that is supremely above all else. Christ alone is Savior. And as a prophet and teacher, he is the one who is above all else. You see this in his transfiguration. It didn't happen there, but you see it. Because there he is up on the mountain, with Peter and John and James. And they're, they're there and all of a sudden, he is transformed from the inside out and the beauty of his deity, the glory of who he is and the God man comes forth so that his raiment, his clothing is shining whiter than anybody could ever make it. Any cleaner could ever do. My dry cleaner is envious of that because he can't do that kind of work. And they all look at him, and there's Elijah and Moses, two of the greatest prophets, two prophets that are key in the history of Israel. And he is a third one. Jesus is the third one, but he is the chief prophet. They're talking about his movement toward Jerusalem in the cross, but it's Jesus who is doing the talking. It's Jesus who is the leader of that group. And there he's, and there the father, uh, when they, when descends in a cloud and then speaks primarily, I think, for those three to hear. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Sounds like it's baptism, right? Listen to him. Well, hold hold on, I got Moses and Elijah here. I got the prophets of the Old Testament. Yeah, but Listen. To him, he is the chief prophet and the chief teacher. So you have something like Acts 3, where Peter is speaking before a group and he's giving his second sermon. He did so well on his first sermon, 3,000 people sold to, were saved. He has a second sermon. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 18. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from our brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. There is a common bumper sticker. I, I haven't seen it for a while, but it was out there. You know, God said it. I believed it. That settled it. Wrong! God said it, that settles it. I don't care whether you believe it or not. Whether you believe it or not is the difference between whether you're on his side or you're against him. And it's one thing to be on his side, but it is something far worse to be against him. And this is what Peter is saying. And he's saying to Jews who thought they were listening to the law and of Moses and they were doing what Moses said, and he said, this Jesus is the great prophet and teacher. Listen to him. Listen. And it's not a begging, listen to him. It's a command. You realize God doesn't beg you to do anything. He commands you to do it. We talk about John 10, where the father will draw his people to him. And we think, oh, yes, he woos them. He speaks kindly to them. He he comes and whispers sweet nothings in their ear and makes them feel good so they'll come to him. Now, the word draw means he compels them to come. You must believe. And in our evangelism, what do we do? Well, take it or leave it. No. It is, I command you to believe the good news about Jesus Christ. That won't get you too far. You probably have to pick yourself up after they've hit you. But that's what the prophet does. I command you to do what God has called you to do. I thought John was throwing something at me. He's going after a mosquito. I know that. I saw his face. I'm going, whoa. So he's the chief prophet. He is the one who began his ministry, as it says in Matthew 4, 23 to 24. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. This is what puts to lie this great heresy of our day that says Jesus was just a great teacher. Marvelous human being. He had a way of... Spinning a story and telling it so that people were astounded at what he had to say. You know, he wasn't a great teacher. He was, in one sense, but that's not who he is. He is God speaking to his people, and the people must listen or suffer the consequences. Second of all, Jesus Christ is the high priest, and you see this on the cross. Romans five nine to. 11 since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of god and last week i put up a word i have no idea what i put up it was supposed to be propitiation it was propitiation or something that's the idea of propitiation he has saved us from the wrath of god he has taken away the wrath for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to god By the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And right there you have those two key theological words. Expiation, take away the sin. Propitiation, absorb the wrath of God. So that you may be reconciled, and it 's the only way in which you can come to God you can 't do it by how many times you read the Bible or you attend church or you pray or you take the sacraments or you do it is only through Christ, because he is the only high priest, and the work of his high priesthood was was the cross supremely, but it is also his life because by his life he sacrificed himself. you imagine. Being in the glory of heaven for all eternity. And then the time comes in the fullness of time, and the Father says, Jesus, Son, it's time. And you have to leave the glory of heaven to take on the form of a creation, a creature. You have to in some ways limit yourself to a body, a, you know, beautiful body, fully God, fully man, two, two persons not commingled, not integrating themselves, but there. And you have to leave the the constant refrain of praise from the angels for who you are to come to live in the midst of the people who reject you from the very beginning. Why, you're only Jesus. Your mother was not married when she became pregnant. Either she and Joseph went... Mm-hmm. Or something, or she was a loose woman. Can you imagine? Can you imagine your family looking at you and your younger brothers and sisters getting upset because you're the perfect child? You're the first child, why not? No, because you're perfect, people reject you. You know that in class. You know the guy that kills the the bell curve? Because he's the one, he or she, is the one that gets 100% all the time and you're sitting there with 60% and you thought, oh good, they're going to pull it over into a sea and he ruins the bell curve. Jesus ruins the bell curve for everyone. That was part of his sacrifice. He's not only a sacrifice, but he is also an intercessor. In uh, Hebrews 7, 15 to 21 in that beautiful book that talks about the how Christ is better than anything else he's better than Moses he's better than the angels he's better than all that has come before him and the writer of hebrews is getting to the place where he's talking to his readers about the incomprehensibleness of Christ as priest and in 18, 15, it says, this becomes even more evident when another priest arrives in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on basis of illegal requirements concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witness of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who were formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will change his mind You are a priest forever, and this makes Jesus the guarantee of a better covenant. Cross and the intercession. Romans reminds us that Jesus is ever interceding on our behalf. You can learn a lot from the prayer life of Jesus. In fact, that's one of the places where you ought to learn your prayer life, Read John 17 and the depth of his not only familiarity with the Father, but his willingness to say things we, would, we could not, but he could say. And the kind of description and the kind of command and call he gives to his Father on his behalf. As, uh, as I have glorified you, glorify me now in heaven. Watch over my disciples. Keep them from the enemy is basically what he says. You, you have sanctified. I have sanctified him with your word. Keep him. Keep them in that word. Just, you know, given to the apostles so that they would write accurately what Jesus had said. And then finally he says to all who believe through them, bring them together that they may be one as you and I are one so that people would know the validity of the gospel. And he prays. He intercedes right now. Whatever state you're in, whether the coffee hasn't kicked in, whether you're bored out of your gourd, no matter, Jesus is praying for you right now. When you are tempted to do something that the word says don't do, Jesus is praying for you right then. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely astounding. But that's what he is as a high priest. He prays for you. He intercedes for you. And he did it not only privately. He used to get up early in the morning, even after a 20-hour work day, and he'd go out to a lonely place to spend time with his father. And then he'd pray publicly, tomb of Lazarus. He He calls upon God to, before he finally says, Lazarus, come forth. In John 17, which the disciples obviously heard because they could write it down. He prays privately and probably, he even prayed on the cross. Lord, today let me be with you in paradise. Yes, you will. He heard the prayer and he answered it. He, he prays, Father, in the garden, do not take this cup away from me. He prays for his mother and his disciple. John, this is now your mother. Mother, this is your son. See, those are prayers. Those aren't just sayings. Those are prayers. In the midst of his agony, with the wrath of God upon him, he is praying for other people. That's the kind of high priest he is. He is the only high priest. You can't come to God except through him. And thirdly, Christ is the eternal king. And here you have his ascension. He's been raised and he goes up to heaven. And there he, he is enthroned in his rightful place. Revelation 5. One of my favorite passages, partly because it's in the book of Revelation, which is a super book if you really understand it. 5 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. Uh, that's not normal to write on the in, inside and on the back on a scroll. Uh, what we consider it to be is that's the scroll of the history of the world sealed so that only certain people can see it i saw a mighty angel proclaim with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seal and no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it you have the history of the world in the hand of god again allegorical symbolic And nobody could look at it. And I began to weep loudly. It wasn't, I mean, this is a wailing that takes place in the depths of your soul that John goes through. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. It's like the angel saying, don't be afraid. Buck up. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the king, has conquered and so, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And all of a sudden he looks up. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. With seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. You catch it. The lamb's not, the lion of Judah's not there. And all of a sudden, poof, he appears. When that happened, his ascension. And there he is able to take the scroll because he's king. He's enthroned again into his rightful place, but in a far different way than when he left. When he left, there was no prince in his wrists and in his side and his feet. But he comes back as a conquering lamb. I don't know about you, but I've never heard or seen too many conquering lambs they're usually wolf bait. That's about it. But he comes back. He's a king of Judah, the the son of David, conquering lamb, and he takes his place, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Is a way that uh, John will describe the vision in uh, Revelation nineteen sixteen. On his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of l- Lords. And before he leaves earth and he pops into heaven, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. There's nothing that operates without me saying so. You know, in our form of leadership, we delegate things. We have to because we can't do it. Jesus never delegates. He is the only final authority. He calls people to do things, but he's the authority behind them. And so he's one who guides. He guides by his word and spirit. And notice in the, the, the catechism that the two work in complementary ways. You don't have the word alone or the spirit alone. That has been two of the far right, far left in the church that has operated why, we only operate by the Word, only what the Word says. And it has left to a, a staleness, a dullness, a legalism, a performance-oriented. Or on the other side, well, we listen to the Spirit. And it's gone into antinomianism, that is lawlessness, that is do your own thing, whatever the Spirit tells you to It has always been the Word and the Spirit. In my background, we have the phrase, reformed and always reformed, being reformed according to the Word and the Spirit. Part of the problem in my background is people said reformed and always reformed, and they forget the last part. And so, whatever you want, whatever culture tells us we ought to do, that's what we do. Because we are always changing. We are always being different. Now, He guides by those two of them working together. That's why you read the word and the spirit comes to you and says to you, that's true, do it. And he implants it in your heart and your mind and he gives you the willingness to do what the word says. And then there are times when the spirit speaks to you and you go back to the word to justify And to make sure that what you heard is in accordance with the spirit. It's always those two together. And that's how he, Jesus is king. That's how he guides his church. That's how you make sure a church continues to be faithful to who they are and what they are called to do. It is also the way in which he governs the world. Because Jesus is not just the Lord and king of the church. He's the Lord and king of the world. All things happen on his say-so, underneath his authority. And the way he changes the world is by the word and the spirit. This week, we have our leader and another leader meeting in a far east city. And they're going to sit down and everyone's thinking, Oh, great things are going to come out of it. Well, they may have some great things. We hope they do. We pray they do. I'll tell you, greater things that happen when Jesus exercises his authority through his church into that world. Because then it changes eternally. Either one of those leaders can renege on any agreement there is. But when the Lord works through his word and spirit in the world, it never gets reneged. It makes a drastic change in individuals, in cultures, and societies. So, that's the anointing that came upon Jesus. Then the second question, question 32, second part of Lord's Day 12. Why are you called a Christian? Well, that's because that's what my mommy called me. I'm a Christian. Now, actually, Christian was first given as a title to the disciples, Acts eleven twenty-six and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. They actually called themselves the way. Out of that, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, we are members of the way. But the Antiochians called them the Christians. That is, followers of Christ or little Christ. Now, we're not too sure whether that was a noble title or it was ridicule. Well, these are little Christ. Or... These are little Christs. When you see them, you see Jesus. I would like to think it was a second. I have an idea out of fallen human nature. It was ridicule. But after about three or four centuries, it finally stuck. And that's who we are called. We are different from the Jews and the Muslims. We are Christians. The answer is because by faith I am a member of Christ and thus a partaker of his anointing, In order that I may confess his name, may present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and with a free conscience may fight against sin and the devil in this life, and hereafter in eternity reign with him over all creation. See, this is the beauty of the catechism. It moves from a description of Christ into the pastoral aspect. What does this mean to you? There's a homiletics professor who used to say, I'm going to come to my students when they're preaching. I'm going to sit in the front row. And 15 minutes into the sermon, I'm going to lift up a card that says, so what? In order that they may understand that what they're speaking has, should have profound effect upon the practical life of the people. And so the understanding that Christ is prophet, priest, and king ought to have a profound effect upon us. In this way, we too share in his and are partakers in his anointing. 1 John 2, 20, you have been anointed with the Holy One. You have knowledge and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Or John 2, 27, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now that doesn't mean you don't have teachers in the church because obviously other parts says. But it's primarily the Holy Spirit working through the word that teaches you. I can say all sorts of truth and you can sit there and it goes in the ears and it's scattered in your brain somewhere running around like a loose cannon. It's the Holy Spirit who applies it and says, yeah. And you say, yep, that's true. When does this anointing take place? As we'll see later on in the catechism, I think it happens at your baptism. That there's an anointing that is placed upon you. And that is, baptism is a sign that you are integrated with Christ and you share with Christ all of his life not only all of his righteousness but being a priest a, a prophet and a king and this is what the confession is telling you by the anointing we assume the same offices as Christ we are prophets in order that i may confess his name and so there's the acts 217 to 18 where peter is quoting joel Where it says, In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. The idea of prophesying is to proclaim. Who do you proclaim? Not Grace Christian Fellowship, not the leaders. You proclaim Christ. We are called. And we are called to call people. To listen to the word of God. That is given. And will be used by the spirit. To change their lives. And again. It's not a gentle calling. That we give to people. Well take it or leave it. No. This is a word of almighty God this is what he's saying to you believe the good news and if you don't believe it's bad news that's that's evangelism would you like to receive jesus no 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 nobody naturally wants to receive jesus so this is the gospel receive christ do it now for now is the day of salvation don't wait don't put it off you may not have Another opportunity. We are also priests. We present ourselves a living sacrifice of thanksgiving to Him. And the Romans 12 1 2 passage talks about how we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Do not be conformed, that is, be set apart and be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So we are called to sacrifice, we're called to give up our desires for other people. Jesus said, if you want to be a servant of mine, you be a servant of everyone else. You're not here to serve yourself. You didn't come here this morning simply to receive. You came here this morning, or you ought to have come here this morning to give to other people. A smile, a handshake, a friendly hug, a Christian hug, which has taken over from the greet kiss one another you have come to serve one another you have come to serve your community you have been called to give sacrificially not only of yourself your time your effort and all that you are your personality let me put this your finances let me make this real practical We are in the process of moving to a new building. We have to pay the building. We have to continue to pay for the building. We have changes that are going to take place when we move from here to there. More money has to be poured in in order to make that building acceptable to what we like to do. And I tell you this, God has all the money he he needs to do it. The problem is, you're sitting on it. It's in your wallet. It's in your purse. And you've got to give it up. That's sacrifice. That's why the tithe is so difficult. I can't make it on 10, uh, 90% of what I have. What do you mean you can't make it on 90% of what you have? Peg and I have 44 years of sacrifice that way. And it has always been a pleasure. Tough, but a pleasure. That's it, and you're also intercessors. You pray. You pray privately for people. You pray publicly. You know what is the key and the foremost mark of a church? People praying. That has the greatest impact. And therefore, your prayer life is one of the chief priorities of your day and of your life. Whether you get up and you're, all, you're a morning person and you can just get in there and pray or whether it takes till four o'clock in the afternoon before you finally say the coffee has kicked in, you get into prayer. And you don't spend five seconds, five minutes praying anonymous or uh, kind of superficial prayers. You put together a prayer book and you are praying for one another Ladies and gentlemen, we need it. We have here on Friday night lists of things to pray for. You not only pray privately, but you see Jesus prayed publicly. He prayed with other people. He prayed in the temple when he went there for the sacrifices for Passover and the feasts. That's why Friday night is one of the most important parts of the week in this congregation. Friday night is where the power comes from. Friday night is where we build unity. Friday night is where evangelism begins. Friday night is where we are going to have an impact upon one another and upon this community because we are here. And therefore, therefore, Friday night should be on your calendar as Grace Christian Fellowship prayer time. And when someone asks you to do something Friday night, you say, oh man, I looked at my calendar and I have another... Obligation. I'm sorry, I just can't make it. And you gear your life around Friday night as well as Sunday morning. That's what it means to be interceding because you are clothed with the priestly clothes of Jesus' righteousness. And finally, you are kings. With a free conscience, may fight against sin and the devil in this life and hereafter in eternity reign with him all over our creatures. Revelation twelve, ten to 12. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before the Lord. And they have conquered him, how? One, by the blood of the Lamb. Two, by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives. Three, even unto death therefore rejoice O heavens and you who who dwell there there's ephesians 6 your armor that you have to put on there Uh, we are called not only to guard and to guide the church but we are called to guard and guide the world we are the ones who are called to make the difference may never hear it on the news but we are the ones who are called to change communities and cities by what we do. See, our battle is not simply within ourselves, although that's where a lot of people put the focus. Our battle is out there in the culture. Our battle is out there in the devil and Satan who wants to corrupt and is doing a pretty good job of corrupting the culture. Our job is to bring them back. How? By the word and the spirit. Proclaiming, sacrificing, being priests and prophets, we are then also kings. So when you go out the doors this afternoon, you are entering into your mission field. That's where you're called to do it. When you go to your work tomorrow morning, that's where your mission field is. We have a great job. We are not called to lose heart over the difficulties that are before us. But what we are called to do is to do what a Christ awakening is all about. And Lord knows we need a Christ awakening, even in the church. To saturate the church with the supremacy of Christ so that the church will saturate the city with the gospel of Christ the amount in which Christ has become your prophet, priest, and king and you are saturated with him will be the amount in which you saturate a city with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the practical impact of this Lord's Day 12. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, you do your work so well. The word goes out Your spirit attends it. It does exactly the purpose for which you have sent it out. Now, O Lord, I pray that you would take the faltering words that were spoken, the true word that was read, combine it with your spirit, that you may so work in us that we may accomplish the purpose for which we have been redeemed, to be prophets compelling people, priests who sacrifice for others and kings who help to shape the world around us not for our glory not for our benefit not even for the growth of our congregation but for the glory that is yours above all else even as jesus did for you and therefore may you hear our amen as we agree and dedicate ourselves to be your people This we ask in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.